Thanks for downloading this podcast from The Rock of York. We hope it inspires you. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, at The Rock of York, or search for The Rock of York on Facebook. And of course, there's the website at www.rockofyork.co.uk. But you probably already knew that. Here's something you might not know. Okay, so I want to talk about uh, giving tonight. This is, um, this is the third message in our trilogy. Um, I'm a little sad that some people haven't even been here for one of the three, when I actually think the whole three are important. So I'm going to encourage you to, uh, if you've missed any, please listen online. And um, if you know people who've not heard any and not, listen, then it would be good to listen because I think this is an important part of um, our building together uh, as a house. Now, there are a couple of things also that, that one of the problems of having to do what I or we do on an evening like this is that we have a very mixed crowd and obviously people watching, thank you everybody who's, who joins us on the, um, on the live broadcast. Um, so I have a dilemma um, in that I want to speak to everybody and be inclusive and not touch on things that some people might feel are uncomfortable, but I also have to take the opportunity to speak to you who are part of this house and a committed part to this house, so I have no other option but to talk about some of these things in this environment. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to be necessarily uncomfortable, but it does mean that we're going to have to touch on a subject that some people may not want to touch on, and I'll explain why people don't want to touch on it um, in, in a little while. Also, I want to preface what I have to say um, by saying that if I say some things and you think he's talking about me, uh, honestly, I'm not, but I may be talking to you. So don't confuse the two, because if something I says strikes home, you might think he's talking about me, and then you'll shut down. Rather than maybe thinking that I might be talking to you and in the process of that God might be talking to you and it might be so that you can be blessed and, uh, and helped in some special ways. Okay, so we're still sticking with our thing which sounds strange about is the Bible real or for real? Is it the construct of man or is it the word of God? And we, this, what I'm saying to you in these three messages is still an important part of that. So... I'm going to read a little bit and comment at the beginning um, and then run into some things that I want to say about, about giving. Now, this is simply to keep me disciplined so I don't, I don't go off in 17 different directions, okay? So this is actually part six of this, um, of this process of talk. So, so this is the third in a trilogy of messages centering heavily on, on the why and what of day three of the Genesis record of the creation story, which I believe is not intended to be a scientific explanation of the existence of all things, nor a history paper on the timing of things, but a glorious declaration of a seven-step process to wholeness. Um, our words are more important than we ever supposed. Just look at what they have created and dismantled in you and me and others as evidence. How many of you would agree? In the realm of faith, saying, I believe, for instance, marks the difference between life and death. 
Our words accrue dignity and gravity in conversations with Jesus. You didn't realize that, did you? Some of you think I've never had a conversation with Jesus. Well, I'm here to tell you you're wrong. There's been a conversation going on between you and Jesus since before you were born. And uh, that's why I think human life is very precious. We, we just don't understand it because as Beth said and, and, and as that movie said, we think a conversation with Jesus means a, a bearded guy with blue eyes, blonde hair, uh, and a robe and sandals standing in front of us. But, but conversations with Jesus don't happen like that. And you see, we, we, we misrepresent the good news that, that God is trying to bring to us when we put conversations with Jesus into that category. I believe that every conversation you have in life, Jesus is actually involved. You just don't realize it, but he's actually in there. And, 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 and our words accrue dignity and gravity in that conversation. God is interested. Jesus is interested. For Jesus doesn't impose salvation as a solution. He narrates salvation into being through leisurely conversation, intimate personal relationships, compassionate responses, passionate prayer, and putting it all together, a sacrificial death. We don't casually walk away from words like that. And so I think we have to give some acknowledgement to the conversation that's been going on since the beginning of time that involves your life and involves my life. And if we would do that, we'd probably find many of the answers that we're looking for. Now, it fascinates me that there are two books of the Bible separated by thousands of years and on different sides of a divide that connect the dots of meaning in this beautiful story of creation. And both seem to focus on the process and not the outcome. The great error, I believe, in trying to interpret the Bible through a particular lens is, is, is that we try to focus on the outcome rather than the process, when actually uh, the process that brings us to an outcome is what the Bible is actually all about, which is why you read a lot of stuff for genocides and different stuff, which I have said to you before. Did God say to people, kill that whole village, men, women, and children? Or did the people who were wanting to take that village say, we need to take that village, so we absolutely need to say that God told us to kill men, women, and children? Now, that will make some of you uncomfortable because you were raised like me with a certain view of the Bible. My other problem is, it ought to make us more uncomfortable when we just accept that because we have a God who really honestly, we have to be honest, becomes a genocidal maniac. And I can't blame people who say, your God is a genocidal maniac. Your God does to men, women and children what the Islamic terrorists have done in Paris this week. Pretty challenging, isn't it? But what we have to realize is sometimes when we present the Bible a certain way, we are saying accept the terrorism that happened in that village. Accept the destruction that happened to those people because it was all in the name of God. Have you heard that story somewhere? Isn't that part of the current wrestle? 
Now, some of those details we will debate and discuss a little more as we press through in our conversation about the Bible, which I absolutely love and I uphold and I believe is the Word of God. It's not about whether it's the Word of God. It's about how I interpret it and through what lens I present it. But very definitely, I believe that, that God is speaking. So, 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 so the process more than the outcome is, is talked about in, in the Bible. Now, Genesis chapter 1 shows God involved in prehistory. Okay, so, so Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. Spirit of God hovered over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And the evening and the morning, the first day, all that stuff, okay. That was showing God involved in prehistory. Now, in the New Testament, separated by a divide, we have the book of John, written by a disciple of Jesus, who very interestingly begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning. Now, now why, why is that important? Because we have one that side of the Jesus divide back in history, at the beginning, that starts with in the beginning, and now we have one brought more into our ear of understanding that says in the beginning, and we have to accept that these two in the beginning beginnings may be parallel to each other and may have something to say. So Genesis 1 shows God involved in prehistory. The Gospel of John chapter 1 shows God involving or embedding himself in our history. Let me break that word down. Let's take the hit off. Shows God involving, embedding himself in our story. Okay? See? So, so, so this, this idea of process, not outcome, is right at the heart of the Christian gospel. Now, both these references that are in the beginning, because John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was the Word, okay? And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Without him, nothing was, was made that has been made, okay? Okay. Um, and, and, of course, then it leads us on to say, and, and it, it talks about him then being the light of the world, okay? Now, now, John the Baptist, who it talks about, it says John the Baptist came talking about him, but John said, I am not the light, but the one who comes after me is the light. And it says that light was the life of men. So there's a connection between light and life. Now, so both in the beginnings, the first thing that is declared is light, Okay, in him was light. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. Okay, God said, what's that word? In John, he says, in the beginning was the word. The word was the light, word and light. So we have two things coming forward, both speaking of these two things, which is word power. Remember how we said before, uh, right at the very beginning, that, that our words are more important than we ever supposed. Look at what they create and dismantle. Both of these beginnings talk about word power and light. Both very, very important things. Word power and light. Now, of course, I, 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 as a believer, believe that everything that came into being came into being by the word of God. Um, it's not a night to talk about my view on things like the Big Bang Theory. We, I have views on things like I have views on evolution, some of them different to what some of you think I might have. Um, but again, they're the conversation for another day. What I want to get through is that word power and light, and that's not word, comma, power and light, but word power, right? Word power. 
How many of you know there's such a thing as word power? It's happening all the time. And some of, some of you are creating the situation you're in because of word power. Okay? Some of you, if you'll accept it, can come out of your situation tonight because of word power. And God said, let there be, and there was. Right? If you can for one minute begin to understand that, that same let there be and there was becomes the let there be and there was in your life. Why why is it in John and in Genesis? Because he's saying, I'm still involved in your story. I still say let there be. And when he says let there be, there still was. Okay. So word power and light. But the kind of light spoken of in both Genesis chapter 1 and John chapter 1 is 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 different to our first thought because we think light, switch on the light, you know, switch on your new now power-saving LEDs that you can put on all day and burn less power than one bulb used to burn in your house all day long. Amazing, isn't it? That's what we think of light. But actually when light is spoken about, first of all in Genesis and in John, in him was light. It's not talking about sun, moon, and stars. It's not talking about natural light. I've said to you every time I've talked about this, that sun, moon, and stars are not created until day four of creation, but light comes on day one. Therefore, the light we're talking about that God wants to bring into our lives is not the natural illumination that stuff brings, or even wisdom, or even education. I tweeted this week, and I sincerely mean it, um, that we unfortunately have a lot of people educated beyond their intelligence, and that our university system has fallen into a trap of educating people beyond their intelligence. Intelligence and education are not the same thing. You can be intelligent with education, you can be intelligent without education, but education will not make you intelligent, okay? So, so the kind of light that comes is, is, is different. It precedes our exposure to any kind of light that we think matters from external sources. This light is a light from which you do not hide. Stop in there for a moment. The light of Genesis chapter 1, day 1, and the light of John chapter 1, the word made flesh and in him was light, is not a light from which you hide. Now, though you may choose to hide it, you might choose to hide that light, as one of parables of Jesus said, don't put the light under a bush, don't put a pot over the light. You cannot hide from this light, but you can hide this light. Now, I happen to believe that we have become experts at human beings of deceiving ourselves and deceiving others. I think the world has become a stage and we have become the actors. And we become so convincing in our acting that we even convince ourselves of things that we think are that are not and things which we want to believe are not that actually are. Chris asked an interesting question last night as we watched Graham Norton, who I think is incredible. I really like Graham Norton. I love his show. I love his interview style. I like his, his cheeky character. I think he's absolutely brilliant. And um, he had Tom Hanks on last night. And Chris said, where does the actor stop and the person begin? Because you didn't know. Now, he seemed a very engaging person, 
But he also seems a very engaging person in Forrest Gump. He also seems a very engaging person in the one with the ball. Wilson! Castaway. Just stop and think for a minute. How real really is your real? How, how authentic is your authentic? How sincere without wax is your pot? Is it, is it at least possible that, that we can hide the light that reveals the true sense of who we are but we can't hide from the light because we know what that light is saying but then we have to convince ourselves of another truth other than the light. That's the kind of light that comes in Genesis 1, 1 and in John chapter 1. It illuminates the inside and works from the inside out, not outside in like natural light. It helps us envision something going on in the unseen which presses through into the seen world. Now, I brought you here because to talk about giving, this is very important. The kind of light that comes into our life as Jesus makes himself present or as the word of God says, let there be light, helps us envision something going on in the unseen which presses through into the seen world. I absolutely, categorically, without an ounce of exception, believe in the unseen world. Now, you can call it anything you like. And on the movie we saw, um, uh, the, the guy who's, who's this guy's father, who is now meeting, who he never met most of his life, asks the question, is this heaven? Which the great movie response is, this is Iowa. But his response is, seems a lot like heaven to me. And so his son asks him, what is heaven like? He says, oh... It's just beautiful. So he looks at his house and his wife and his his kid and his land and he says, well, maybe this is heaven. It's a change of perspective when the light begins to to shine. But, but, But this idea of envisioning something going on in the unseen which presses through into the seen world is, is so important because we, we are temporal beings but live as temporal beings rather than realizing that in essence we are eternal beings and need to live as eternal beings. There is in here by every one of us unseen. I, I've told you one of my main stories on that is fascinating. I have, I have dozens. My father's dying six and a half years ago, and by his bedside, I suddenly become aware that two men have walked in very tall and stood at the end of his bed with their hands like this. My father is unconscious. The next day, when I go back, he's regained consciousness. He turns to me, he says, hey lad, which is how he used to talk, hey lad, he said, a strange thing happened yesterday. It says, these two fellas walked in and stood at the end of my bed, quite tall fellas, and they stood like that at the end of my bed. I thought they'd come for me. Now, did I see some physical people come in? No, because no physical people came in to the room. The unseen was being seen. Now, you can make of that 
what you wish to make of it. But if we don't live or if we lie about the light, we don't appreciate the unseen. And because we can't explain the unseen, we try to rationalize it. And then we become untruthful about what is probably a greater truth than the one that we're experiencing by looking through natural, natural light. See, creation was not simply a matter of God giving from himself. It was God giving of himself. Okay? Did you get that? It's not a matter of God giving just from himself. He was giving of himself. Something of what God was, was coming into creation. Everything, not just, not just man himself. And it was God giving himself, culminating in the incarnation, the ultimate gift, God in flesh. Now, not to talk about giving in that context then, is to betray an essential principle at the root of the creation process to wholeness. We have to talk about giving. And living from while... So, so from giving back to the root is what I want to talk about today. Having life while giving back to the root. Now, remember what we've talked about in the last two things. We talked about the seed, that every seed has something in it. What's in that seed? Potential. The potential of that seed will never be realized unless that seed is what? So there has to be a willingness to sow that seed, let it go. The Bible talks about it being, being buried and dying so that it can bring forth much fruit, much like Jesus being buried and died as God's seed for humanity, much like corn, much like an apple seed. Uh, What what grows from apple seeds? What what grows from pear seeds? What grows from wheat seeds? Okay, so would you say there is a consistency that whatever a man sows, that is what he will reap? Would Would you agree that that principle actually does not stop in agriculture? That it's actually a life principle for every area of our life. So, so we talked about the seed. And then last week we talked about the branch. Because Jesus said, John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. And he talks about the branches bearing the fruit. So, so the branch plays a critical role in the production of the fruit. Which is if the branch is not connected to the tree, the fruit is not going to grow from the branch. So we talked about how connection is vitally important. And we like, we like to jump around the houses on that, but actually I believe connection to a body. See, see, if my arm, which is my arm, is not connected to my body, it's not going to function. Because this is my arm for my body. If God put you in this body, you're going to function connected to this body. And if you disconnect, or you have a temporary or a partial connection, you will get what that produces. Which is an inability for fruitfulness to fully express itself. Because for fruitfulness to fully express itself, the branch must be fully connected to the tree. This is not rocket science, folks. But we try to make means that say, I can be half connected, I can be disconnected and still be fruitful. No, you can't any more than the apple tree branch can be. So we talked about the importance of connection. But then, of course, we talked about that is connected to the tree. It's connected to the vine. It's connected, therefore, to the root. Okay? So, so 
So fruit grows on the branch. The branch grows when it's attached to the tree. The tree thrives because of its root. Now, I'm going to talk about giving for a little bit. Okay? Giving is more, much more about much more than finance. Okay? Giving is about much more than money. But it's also about money. It's also about finance. Why do you think people write songs like money makes the world go round? Not because they got up one morning thinking, I'm trying to think of a lyric for a song and I can't think of a lyric, so I'll just make one up. No, it's a lyric because money makes the world go around. Many of you will have never heard the principle of the golden rule. Who knows what the golden rule is? Some of you think, oh, it's love your neighbor. No, it's not. The golden rule is whoever has the gold makes the rules. That's the golden rule. That's the law of the world's economics. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. So don't tell me that money is not important to us and doesn't form a vital part of our life. Now, the Bible introduces us to a word which would form some kind of workable model in the arena of financial given. Uh, but also, I believe, in every other area of our life, our, our time, our gifts, our talents, okay, our abilities, uh, this word applies to all of them. And that, that word that is introduced so we can have a kind of workable model is the word tithe. Okay? Now, tithe is simply an old way for saying tenth. Okay? Um, the words that that's derived from simply are the word from which we have our word tenth. So the Bible talks about giving connected to this word tithe or tenth as a workable model, a form of model that can help us put some structure and some significance behind what he is asking us to do. Now, it's fascinating that even in nature, there seems to have a tithing system built into it. I was fascinated as I was studying last week about trees and branches and photosynthesis and all that stuff to appreciate that you know, the tree thrives through photosynthesis where it, it takes in light and it breathes in carbon dioxide so it can breathe out oxygen and it creates sugars and those sugars help the tree to thrive and of course the fruit to come, although with the fruit you also need pollination. But it also feeds back from the sugars going back to the root of the tree. So it contributes from its productivity from its own productivity, for its own life, it contributes sugars back to the life of the tree which go into the root. It's a kind of a tithing system. Now, what's also interesting when you read the Bible is that one of the patriarchs of the Bible was a guy called Abraham. And he predates Israel as a nation, and he predates the law of Israel as a system, yet in Genesis chapter 14 verse 20, it says that after winning a great victory, and somebody turning up who looks a lot like Jesus to me, if you read the story, it says Abraham gave a tenth of all that he had gained to this man. That's before any rule was there to say you should do this. It seems then that somewhere ingrained in society of that time that was not hijacked by a religious process, the idea of giving back to the source, giving back to the root, contributing to the source of your life was important to people. And Abraham decided that a tenth was the appropriate measure. Now, I presume that culturally that had also caught on because his grandson, a guy called Jacob, 
who's also a patriarch uh, from the Bible, who had his name changed, and that's where the Israel nation came from, uh, he tithed before there ever was a nation of Israel or a law stating rules and requirements and demands. So the question is, why did Abraham tithe? Because he wanted to give out of the fullness of his heart back to where he believed the source of his blessing had come. Why did Jacob give? If you read it, he blessed God on his staff because God had now led him to a place that he believed was the house of God. As in the middle of the desert, bear in mind. All he's got is a stone pillar and he says, this feels like the house of God to me. And he heard a voice saying, no, it's Iowa. And he said, it feels awfully like heaven to me. No. Um, so there in the desert, in this place, because he had a sense of the unseen, he, he saw something very strange. He saw a ladder going to heaven and he saw angels on it. We think that's really crazy. Listen, some of you are crazier than that. And what you have to say makes less sense than that, okay? But the unseen, something touched his heart and what was his response? Before there were any rules, he said, I'm giving a tenth of everything that I have here. So somehow, in this life-giving creation of the light that dwells within us is something that says a tenth of what we have and who we are and our time and our gifts and our money are very important. Why? Because they are something that we give back into the source so that the source can feed us with life so that out of that life we can be fruitful. Okay? So we feed back not to give something necessarily... It's not about the root taking something from us. It's about the root having more opportunity to give something to us. So it was interesting that it took a piece of Adam to make Eve. He gave a rib. I don't know whether he said, yeah, sure, cut me up and I'll give you a rib. But however that works out, it's a good, it's a good illustration anyway. That it, it took a piece of Adam, his rib, to make Eve. The principle of giving back to produce longevity and fruitfulness is a universal principle from which Scripture does not shy away. Okay, so we're talking about somehow longevity and fruitfulness are a consequence of this process. I actually believe that. I believe the unseen operates into the seen when we take these principles to heart. Now, money's a funny thing. We don't like to talk about it, do we? M money, though, attaches to and affects our emotions almost more than any other thing. Now, some of you might not believe that, but I, I, I can prove it to you. If I told you, right, you have to give 10% to this church, you would resent me. You would resent me because I'm telling you what you have to do with your money, which shows that you're emotionally attached to your money. Because if you weren't, you'd say, well, all right then. Or some of you would say, which is the response I would like, is that all? Some of you know we're emotionally attached to our money, which makes giving emotionally difficult, and it also makes it difficult from a faith perspective because we are giving something in order that something might be produced, but what we give has to die, just like the seed. Imagine the farmer who gets his seed, like God said to Adam, I give you every seed-bearing plant for food. Now, what Adam's got to figure out is this, but if I eat all that seed... I won't have any food after I've eaten this food. 
So why is it so often we don't have any food left? We don't have anything left over? Because we ate all the seed, okay? We ate everything that was fruit in our lives. We didn't sow back into the source and into the, into the root. See, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, he happened to be talking. We haven't got time to go into all this. But, but, but where your treasure is, your heart is. So if your money is your treasure, your heart will be in your money. And you will do everything in your power to protect that because it's the most important thing to your heart. But, but what if your heart is in a different place? What, what if your treasure is not your money? What if your treasure is not your self-confidence of thinking you can actually make it and get through life successfully? What, what if your treasure was the light that is the life of the world? What, what if your treasure was, was faith in this Jesus, faith in this Abba, this Father, this God who said, let there be and there was? What if he was your treasure? Well, that's where your heart would be. And because your heart's there then, you don't hang on to things that you're supposed to not hang on to. Because if your money's your treasure, I'm wasting my time talking to you today about what to do with your treasure because you're too tied to it. So for some of us, it's a shift of heart. Giving, actually, is a shift of heart. It's less about what you do with your money, your gift, your time, and more about what you do with the placement of your heart. When they get placement of your heart right, it's amazing how you can let go of what needs to be let go so that it can bring longevity and fruitfulness. So the classic verses on tithing in the Bible, obviously I'm limited for time tonight and I don't want any more time in a sense and I've also talked to you about some deeper principles at the beginning so I'm not just hammering at you with this okay but showing you it comes from a deeper root that's ingrained in scripture so that God can be life to you so the word can become flesh for you so light can be a reality in your life so you can come to a day of rest and wholeness that's what this is actually all about it's not about we the church need money because we're fixing our roof and we're going to put a thermometer outside. Classic verses on tithing, giving the tenth in the Bible. Malachi, the last, last book in the Old Testament. And chapter 1 and verse 8 through 12 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Now, offerings are something beyond the tithe, okay? And we won't talk about that much today. You're under a curse. The whole nation of you, because you're robbing me. Now, that's a much misunderstood verse there, because it's not God saying, I curse you. Okay. So we'll, we'll talk a little, just a, a minute about that in a moment. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room for it. See the principle of sowing, we're feeding back to the root, we are the branch, we are attached correctly to the house and then we produce fruit which produces seed and we have the opportunity then to multiply our fruitfulness and extend our longevity by what we do with that seed but it all comes from this process, okay? I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. 
And the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. This is quite, if this is true, it's, it's at least a bit interesting, isn't it? If it's true, it's a little more than interesting. It's absolutely amazing. And if it's really true, I want a, I want a piece of this, okay? Now, I happen to think, as I've told you before, that the Bible is a wonderful book about God, but the Bible is a wonderful book about how life works. And I've watched people who haven't got two minutes for God succeed because they use the very principles that God has given in their lives and it has caused them to have longevity and fruitfulness. Now, their position before God, their relationship with God, is another issue. But the wonderful thing about God, when he gives us principles for life, he doesn't say you've got to be a believer, you've got to be in the church, you've got to be christened, you've got to be baptized, you've got to be dedicated, you've got to be whatever, whatever, whatever for this to work. He says, I give this to you as a gift. And the blessedness of life is a gift from God. That's why the Bible's not trying to sneak in on the act and claim something for God that's not his when it says, all good gifts around us come from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. That means he's not going to turn away from anybody because the good gifts that he has produced, that produce in our life, will work for you anyway. It works a lot better if you're connected to the life source, okay? And will bless you a lot better. Now, some argue that this model of giving is no longer active, okay? This business of tithe. That's why I said to you before we ever get any instruction or rule or Israel or any of that stuff, this stuff's going on back then. It's going on from, from, from day three of creation when fruit and trees and bushes are created. It's going on when we start there. I find it fascinating that they're... they're uh, photosynthesis is not coming from the sun. It's coming from this, 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 this revelation light. And they are producing some kind of life that's amazing. That actually, if, if you were to speculate, would say actually there would have been no death in that if they'd have continued doing that. Do you know, if you live by the right light, death's going to give up. So some argue this model of giving is no longer active. Often citing 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 in the New Testament. Okay, verse 7 says, oh, but there. Verse 7 says, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I accept that. That's a good statement. You should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. But God, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, I don't think that's referring to the cheerfulness attached to getting away with giving less than one should. Because some of you are monkeys for that, right? Cheerful because we got away with not having to do something. I don't think that's what God's talking about. This is rarely, if ever, used to argue the case, this verse, to give more. I have never heard anybody use this verse to argue with me that they want to give more to God than a tenth. It's usually because they don't want to feel that they're obligated to feed back in what has been a good model and works in creation from the beginning of time. So it sadly becomes an excuse to say, I want to give less, not give more. That's really the spirit of Christ, isn't it? That's really how to make the kingdom grow. That's really how to bring longevity and fruitfulness, isn't it? Or the other thing is to ensure the retention of total control over how much I give and to whom. Why? Because we're attached to our money. Because our heart's in our money. 
And we want to retain control over how much we give and to whom we give it. Now, uh, I, I need to say this. You know, I'm pretty blessed. I'm not, I am not a poor man, okay? This problem mostly affects people who are not poor. Because we then start looking not at portion of what we have. We start looking at how much that is. And when we start seeing the figures get bigger and bigger, we can start to think, oh, that's an awful lot to give to one place, or it's an awful lot to give to one thing. So I'm, I'm going to decide to do something else other than the process that, that is described. Okay? And we use verses like this to, to try and help us because we try to retain control over how much and to whom. See, the issue is not equal giving. The issue is equal sacrifice. I love this system because it means it doesn't matter where I sit on the social scale. I, my, my, my contribution to the life of the root is exactly the same as a person who is financially secure and would never need to work for another day in their life. My contribution is the same. Jesus told a story about a woman who put her last two pennies into the offering plate in the synagogue. And he talked about the rich coming in and dropping something, a tithe of this and a bit of that. Jesus said, who do you think gave the most? Because if, if, if your idea of this process is attached to figures, numbers then you would say, well, the woman certainly didn't give the most. But Jesus said, no, the one who gave the most was this woman. Why? Because she gave all that she had. The biggest offering I've ever given, who wants to guess what the biggest offering I've ever given is? The biggest. And I've given some reasonably big, we've given some reasonably big offerings. You know what the biggest offering I've ever given? 50 pence. I told you about it last week, because when I gave that offering, it was everything that I had. It's the biggest offering I've ever given. So any offering that I've ever given since then may have constituted in the tens of thousands were not equal to that giving, because that was everything that I had. So the issue is, guys, you may not be very well provided for financially, But when you give your offering, God looks at your offering as precious and as dear as a multi-multi-multi-millionaire giving a tithe on, on his or her offering. Your offering is the same. So I was really blessed, and I'm going to boast on him because I loved him to bits. Um, my, my dad was, was one of the biggest givers in this church. But if you looked at the account figures and saw the amount that he gave, you'd say he wasn't one of the biggest givers. There are quite a bunch of people who gave much more than my father. See, but the difference is my father gave over a third of all of his income to, to this house, to the work of God, to what he believed in. Over 30%, over 30% well over 30%. And it wasn't a lot in amount, but he shamed me in the sense that when I looked at my giving, which was much more in terms of amount, and his giving, he was actually sowing more seed than I was sowing. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I actually think the system of tithe that then became part of Israel's law was God trying to say, look, we've got to put some, some texture to this. So I think this is amazing. I would also say for when we try to get by this, 
if we're going to say we love God and we're followers of Jesus, then if we don't like the tithe, we have two other options, right? If you're a Trinitarian, believe Father, Son, and Spirit, and God gave Jesus, how much of himself did he give? One third, okay? Now, if, if, if you believe beyond that and believe that when God was giving Jesus and God sending the Spirit, he was giving all of himself, how much was God giving of himself? Everything. So my deal is this. Here's your options. 10%, 33 and a third percent are 100%, right? This tithing's a deal. It's a deal. If I were you, I'd say, let's call it 10. There we go, God. 10's a good one. Okay? But around this verse, you have to understand the true context of the application. And this happens when you read the previous and following verses. Okay? Verse 6 says, remember this. Okay? If we think verse 7 is about trying to, you know, work the figures to make them not be what they were. It's an interesting story in Acts chapter 5 of a couple who tried to work the figures uh, sort of, well, you know, well, I don't really have to give this because I'm not really making that and I didn't really, and, you know, uh, working the figures to, to kind of make it that, that less was there. And it, this, don't ask me to explain the story. It's a bit, it's pretty gruesome. I'd like to think it, it, what happened didn't happen for reasons we think it happened, but that's another story. But, but the deal is, the light that shines in us, right, we can't extinguish that light. You know and I know what the truth is about our time, about our talents, about our willingness to sacrifice, about our money. You and I all know and we can make all kinds of things to make us have less time, less money, less talents, less, less gifts, less possibilities. But the light that shines, we can't hide from. All I'm saying is we need to be honest to the light. Not because God's demanding of us, but he's wanting an opportunity to bless us and give something to us. So, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's very simple for you. So when verse 7 says, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, what's the criteria for that? Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow generously, reap generously. And verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That means you get what you don't deserve. So that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. That's the longevity and fruitfulness. Okay, so I'm going to ask some questions to finish and, and, and close it off with a statement. So why the tithe? Well, because it seems to be an expression of thankfulness back to the source. Where should it go? Now, this is an interesting one because the model in Malachi says bring the whole tithe. Why does he have to say bring the whole tithe? Because he realizes we might decide to bring some of the tithe. So he says bring the whole tithe. Where? Into the storehouse. Which storehouse? He was talking about the storehouse of what would have been then the local priestly movement, the synagogue, the temple, the environment of ministry to which you were connected. The whole tithe comes there, right? One of the reasons parachurch ministries like solely TV ministries or other ministries that are not local churches like to 
propose that tithing is not necessarily biblical is because they want people to take what should be a tithe into the local house and give it to them. Right? So sadly, there is a strategy that, that, that gets put out. I believe we bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, which means if we're part of this house, if your fruit is your branch that's connected to this trunk that comes from the root that God has provided here, your whole tithe comes to this house. Okay? Now, offerings above that is fine. We do those according to our conscience and our calling and what God wants us to do. But other than that, the whole tithe, where should it go? Into the house. Why should it go there? Because Malachi says that there might be provision or bread or fruit in the house. Bob Seymour used to say, if you want your preacher to preach better, give better. Now, that's not because he thinks, oh, we're getting more money and no quid's in. It's because Bob says that when you bring it into the house, the, the supply of the house increases in every way. So the revelation people get, the vision, the understanding, the steps that we need to take, and the things that we can do with young people and older people and in the community and, and in missions all increase when that comes into the house. So, so that's why it should go there. What does it look like? It looks like a tithe. That's what it looks like. What are the implications? The implications are that we carry on. The implications are that we're all warm tonight because somebody did what I'm talking about. The implications are we'll have a pub quiz and we'll have hot dogs afterwards in a beautiful environment with a nice screen and tech because somebody did this. The implications are that the next generation gets blessed. The implications of planting the seed that you have are that there is another tree for another generation to feed another group. That's the implication. So the first implications are somebody gave so you could be here tonight. So what about the people who are not here tonight who are going to be here in five years or ten years or twenty years or some of them when some of us have gone in 30 or 40 or 50 years, is there going to be somewhere for them to be? Is there going to be a word for them to receive? Is there going to be a grace for them to acknowledge? Well, not if we don't do this, because the implications are another generation prays for our thieving. That's how we rob. We rob God by robbing the next generation. We rob God by robbing people of a blessing. We rob God by robbing people of what they should be able to receive from what God created in our lives. That's how we rob God. And so the curse that's there, I don't believe God says you're cursed. I think what happens is because what a man sows that also shall he reap, that becomes the curse we live under when we don't do it. But I also believe when we do do it, that all the blessings that are spoken there of God's protection become a reality in our life. So, so the other implication of that is this. It takes faith. Okay, that's the other implication. I'm no different to you. Uh, all of my life I've looked and thought, when you look at the money you have and what you need to do, um, oof, 10%. Takes faith. But if you have faith that the one who made the promises, who is the root to the tree to which the branch is connected that produces the fruit, is faithful to what he has said, you by faith will sow back in to who he is so that you by faith can receive what he gives and so that all those things talked about 
can be the blessing in your life. I thank God for his blessings on my life and on our life. What are the rewards, if any? Well, the first reward is somebody gets blessed because of what you did. I don't think the first reward is I need to give to God so I can get rich. The first reward is people get blessed when I do this. This thing goes on and people get reached. But I also believe that what a man sows is what he reaps and God blesses us back. What is the point? The point is what I've just explained to you in many of those things, that it goes beyond just give so that you might get. It goes so that all that God is doing in the tree that is life to the world can continue and can go, go ahead. And the people that we're robbing, those who don't get the blessing because we didn't give like somebody gave so that we could get the blessing. And we rob God of an opportunity. See, we don't rob God of money. God doesn't need your money or my money. What he does need is opportunities. And when we get, don't give, we rob God of an opportunity to bless in our life. So, If fair is important to you, tithing is a great solution to the who should give what question. The not equal giving but equal sacrifice is something you keep in your mind. It's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. We're all the same in the eyes of God. Because the root is the key to the long-term success of the tree. How many of you know that? Feed back to the root and the root will feed you. Not the branch, not the fruit, the root is the key to the long-term success of the tree. Whether that tree is bring your tithe into the storehouse, whether that tree is God himself and his promises, whatever that tree is, it's the key to the long-term success of the tree. And if you feed back to the root, the root will feed you. And the unseen becomes seen. There's something bigger at work here than your ability to mathematically figure this out. Let me say this as the last thing. My, my neighbour's such a sweet guy, absolutely. We, we love him to bits. Um, Rob's got three doctorates. He's a, a very clever man. He's a scientist. And, uh, but he's a scientist who cannot dismiss God, okay, with all his knowledge. And I asked him one day, I said, why, why is that, Rob? He said, well, here's the deal. I thought this was wonderful. He said... He knows most of the professors at Oxford and Cambridge. He's a very clever man, knows, knows a lot of the high-flying intellectuals. And he said, here's what staggers me. He says, how many of the mathematicians, which is the most rigid of the disciplines for reason and factuality, why so many mathematicians at the stop of our educational process and academics are Christian believers and believe in God. That's the thing that challenges him. Why? Because he realizes they have seen there's something beyond maths There's something beyond science and it's real and mathematicians have acknowledged we can't work everything out by numbers and figures on a sheet. There is an unseen that touches the seen when you engage with the process. It's very interesting that so many of those are believers. I've said this to you tonight because it takes faith but it engages you with the unseen. And engaging with the unseen, life goes back into the root And that feeds into us, the branches, and produces longevity and fruitfulness. And my heart's desire is that we can be a blessing to thousands and thousands and thousands of people, that we'll have all that we need at all times, so that in every way we can be blessed in every good work that we do for everyone, but that takes all of us to participate. So if you are not a tither, I invite you to engage this process and ask God to help you. The disciples one day said to Jesus, Lord, increase our faith. That's all right to say that, okay? 
For those of you who maybe are, got upset and are trying to make a point by saying I won't pay me tithe, there's only one person suffering from that. So stop being stupid and fix it. You're not hurting anybody but yourself. And uh, if you're kidding, kind of fiddling the books, okay? Oh, just bless God, I'm giving a tithe. But you're fiddling the books, not wise. But we stand together in this for the blessing of God. God has been faithful to us. And as a house, I've told you before, we punch way above our weight. We give beyond what should be expected. And we will be blessing some men this week who are important in our life with significant gifts from this house because it's, it's, it's not about what do we think they're worth. Okay? We, we don't do, it's, it's what do we believe in God is the thing that we should do to express he who sows sparingly reaps sparingly. He who sows generously reaps generously. We as a house, which means you, have always been generous in our sowing and in our giving. And the men here who know and have worked, Keith worked with us in the finance for many years and making others know we have been exceedingly generous. And it has meant that as a pretty small church in the context of those that are thousands, we have often done more than churches that have many, many hundreds and many thousands because I believe God has blessed us because of what we have given. This works. There is a supernatural process. And I'm not forcing you saying you can't be part of the church unless you do this. But I invite you to be part of the process of the unseen becoming seen, the word becoming flesh, the feeding back to the root to increase fruitfulness. I invite you to become part of that and see what the Lord will do for you. So I bless you in Jesus' name. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your faithfulness. For people who weren't here, I encourage them to have a little listen. And we're going on together, okay? We're moving forward together. And we are going to continue to be the blessing to thousands and thousands beyond this house to make the name of God famous in their lives. So, Father, we bless you. We thank you. Bless the hot dogs. Bless the quiz. Let those who ought to win, win. Let there be no cheating. And let the questions all be Bible-based in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs) All right, we're done. Love you. Thanks for listening. You might not be aware that The Rock is funded completely through donations from people like yourself. So if you feel like you're part of our community, it would be great if you could make a contribution by visiting our website at www.rockofyork.co.uk and just click on the donate button for more information. Thanks again. Thanks again.